As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome back or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, sportsman drag racers, the strip teaser, and the Saturday Night Hooker. Big Jed, how are you, my friend? Luke, I'm well. I, uh, I had a great, fun weekend at the Dream Team event. Um, you know, I didn't roll in the driveway till like midnight-ish uh, Sunday night. And uh, Big Jed had to be at work early Monday, so this That's is Tuesday man. evening. You yeah, sound too chipper. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm pretty good shape. This is Tuesday evening, so I'm starting to catch back up and uh, starting to feel okay. But I'm a little tired, but I'm looking forward to uh, discussing the good stuff in this show. There's some stuff that we don't like to talk about yet. It needs to be talked about, and that's legends in our sport that have uh, left us within the last couple of days. And um, those are the things that we really don't like, Luke, but definitely look forward to talking about the impact and uh, the contribution that, that these guys had in racing because uh, it's pretty special. No question, Big Jed. You, you had as, tr as difficult as the Dream Team weekend was for, for circumstances outside of everyone's control, mainly weather-related, uh, you had a very positive weekend, which we'll we'll discuss uh, a little bit later on in the show. Uh, my weekend was not as great. We we mentioned we wouldn't have zero discussion about the Midwest Junior Series opener here unless my son won. And um, there's there's really only one thing that can go horribly wrong as a junior dragster parent, and I'm sure you, like any junior dragster parent, knows this all too well. It's one thing, like Gary wins, that's cool. Gary loses, that's cool. Um, the the bad thing that can happen as, as the, as the parent, the crew chief is when something happens and it's my fault that costs my driver an opportunity to win. In this case, it didn't even cost my driver an opportunity to win. It cost my driver an opportunity to compete 
we had parts breakage, unable to get fixed in time for round one. And man, what a gut punch that, that was, that was no fun at all. No, those aren't fun ever. Certainly when they impact you, but when it's your kids involved, oh man, it's that extra, it's that extra kick in the, what rhymes with guts. And uh, yeah, so those hurt really bad, but you know, there's lessons in there, Luke, that, there that my main man, Gary learned the hard way. And I'm sure that he's just going to be better for it. And I know that he appreciates his old man scrapping hard to, to get him in the show. Just didn't work out. Shouts to Keith Weed. Shouts to Tracy Muckler. Shouts to a couple of guys that I barely even know. I don't know their names. We, it was a community effort. We needed five more minutes, Gary. We almost uh, made it. But uh, so yeah, this is a rough afternoon. I think I'm to your point. I think I took it harder than my son did. But yeah, it's a rough afternoon. <laughs> that said, Big J, we've got a great show on tap. Enough about us. Um, we'll start off where we have to start off. We're going to talk about the passing of two legends, icons of our sport that happened within hours of each other. It was a rough Sunday in the racing community. We'll talk about Peter the Great, perhaps Peter the Goat. Sneaky Pete had a big, big weekend. We'll talk about the Dream Team and how how badly we missed on our predictions, Big Jed. We've got a full slate of NHRA Lucas Oil Series events to break down some stellar performances, some championship chases getting a little bit clearer. We even had an express, we had an excessive braking disqualification, Big Jed. Those are fun. Nothing I'd rather talk about. (laughs) A blast. All that and much more. But first, P. Jizzle for Shizzle. All right, Big Jed. So the week that was, my my son and I have this argument pretty regularly. The the week technically starts on Sunday. He argues it's Monday because he says, you know, Sunday is the weekend. But regardless... If the week starts on Sunday, this week started off as badly for our sport as it could with the passing of not one, but two legends of drag racing. Yeah, Luke, you know, we, we use the term legend in the, in the sense, well, we use it where it don't always fit perfectly. We talk about legends in the sport and we talk about people that we know are going to be legends when they wrap up their their racing career, whatever involvement they have. These were two individuals that are legends at the highest level. Uh, we lost Dave McClellan and we lost John DeBartolomeo this week, same day. Um, two individuals that while different paths in our sport they contributed at the same legendary level and uh and and you know rarely we we lose people now regularly in our sport but rarely do we lose two individuals that contributed at this level anywhere close to one another and we lost them basically uh, within hours of one another so devastating to the to the sportsman racing and drag racing communities but, you know, these are individuals that had a, a wonderful perspective on life. I, I've got to where I, I spent a little bit of time with both of these people and their, their positivity and 
their just overall attitude was excellent always. And I know that both are in a better place and I know that uh, there will be a lot of mourning, but I'm hoping at some point there's a lot of celebration about these two individuals because they left a ton of memories for us to celebrate. And, uh, and that's eventually what, you know, I would love to see happen, but we're all going to have our time of sorrow here for a little while. And, uh, and this show is going to discuss a little bit of that as well. That's a great way to put it, Jed. There's, there's a lot to celebrate from those two men. Let's zoom in a little bit on Dave McClellan first passed away Sunday, 85 years old. Uh, Dave McClellan, like Dave McClellan and Steve Evans, I don't know about you, Jed, but they were like the voices of my youth, you know, from the, yes. the Diamond P archives and, and the national event. I don't even remember what channel they were broadcast on. I, I, I go back to like the Nashville network. I don't know if there was something prior to that, but mm-hmm. I can't hear Dave McClellan's voice. And, and there's plenty of opportunity to hear his voice in, in, in this week. I can't hear his voice and not picture sitting in our living room in California, watching the races with my father at six years old, right? Uh, reading um, Dave McClellan's obituary, he worked with NHRA in some capacity for 44 years, Jed. Uh, he had a tenure actually working for NHRA. Then my understanding is kind of ventured out into his own media company, uh, which, which ended up becoming you know part of that Diamond P gig that, that I remember so fondly. In between, he had a stint with Popular Hot Rodding Magazine in which he was actually instrumental in developing the Super Chevy show, the same Super Chevy show that, that is still um, widely popular today. So just had his hands and his fingerprints all over our sport. Jed, I, I know, I don't know how, um, what exactly the level of your relationship with Dave McClellan was, but I know that you got an opportunity to work with them side by side on at least one occasion. And why don't you talk just a little bit about that experience? Yeah, obviously, uh, working spring fling events uh, was out at the Vegas event many years ago. And uh, Kevin McClellan, which is uh, an important member of the KNN family, um, obviously is Dave's son. Um, he had Dave at the, at the event, had him out and was uh, just hanging out. Dave was hanging out in the tower and, you know, I'm down there doing my thing at the other end of the tower, uh, announcing the race. And, you know, then they, they tell me Dave McClellan's here and I'm like, holy crap, you know, here, I hope, I hope he's not within earshot of. <laughs> that doesn't of sound intimidating what, at all, right? <laughs> of what I'm doing, you know, first thing I, I'm hoping he don't hear this. And then secondly, um, you know, I certainly please don't let him get away without, you know, me getting an opportunity to, to shake his hand and, and have a quick discussion with him. And, you know, before long, they say, well, you're, you're going to have a discussion with him. All right. You're going to interview him in the tower. And I'm like, I, you know, guys, <laughs> I, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can get through it. I'm, I'm not an interviewer. I'm an announcer. And, um, I don't, I don't want to embarrass myself and, you know, they, they bring Dave down to the other end of the tower and put him in the box with me. And, and I tell him, you know, Mr. McClellan, and he stopped me right then. He said, I'm not Mr. McClellan, I'm Dave. And he said, uh, that that's how you're going to address me. And I'm like, well, we'll see about all that. But, uh, I said, you know, I'm, 
I'm not an interviewer. I'm, I'm, I'm really nervous here and intimidated by, uh, you know, a guy here that, that has done this at the highest level possible and basically set the stage for anyone thereafter to do this job. You know, made, you made racing interesting just by talking about it. And he, he really just had a, a, a great calming sense about him and just sat me down and he said let me tell you something son he said i've been sitting down at the other end of this tower and you're as good at what you're doing as can be done and he said i i'm really impressed with what you're doing i can follow the race listening to you and he said this is not going to be an interview we're going to have a conversation he said, you just ask me anything you want to ask me and forget that there's a mic in our hand and forget that there's a camera over your shoulder that you're standing in front of that can't see me right now. And <laughs> basically telling me I was in the way of the shot. I didn't even know where to stand because there was a camera in the tower. But, uh, you know, he just really put my mind at ease, Luke. And he said, let's just chat and have a good time. You can ask me anything you want to ask me. He said, we'll see where the conversation goes. So we did that. It was one of the most special moments that, that I've ever had or ever will have uh, on the mic. And, you know, obviously haven't got to spend any time with Mr. McClellan since um, as his health started falling off several years ago. And uh, he didn't make it out to, to any more of the, the events that I was at out there. But just that little bit of time, I felt like we were friends for life. You know, that's just the kind of guy he was. Uh, that's the kind of um, legacy he will leave. I anyone that's come in contact with him, I'm sure, feels the same way. He's just a super genuine man and a wonderful family and just left his mark on racing in a spot where others will never be able to reach. And, um, you know, certainly we're all hurting today with, with such a loss, but can't imagine the, the pain within the, the McClellan family and uh, the, his close circle of friends. And, I, and it was, it was a, a large circle at that, but um, thoughts and prayers go out to each and every one of those individuals that, that is impacted by this loss. And he's the kind of guy, Luke, that so many hundreds of thousands or millions didn't know, but felt like they knew him. And I know this loss is, is hurting bad throughout our racing community. On the same day that Dave McClellan passed, we also lose John DeBartolomeo at the young age of 68 years old. And I don't know about you, Jed, you, you got the opportunity to be face to face, have a conversation with Dave McClellan. I never got that, but I, I feel like certainly for me, and I feel like for both of us, the loss of Johnny D hits even closer to home, like similar icon legend status in our sport. Um, but John D was, I don't know. I mean, my relationship with John DeBartolomeo goes back 20 plus years. Like, um, I don't even remember how we came upon it, but I was, I was writing a, a column for, um, the old, I believe at that time it was still bracket racing USA before it became drag racing USA before it became drag racing action, all of which had John D at the helm. And, um, and I'll be completely honest, our, our relationship didn't start off that well. Like, I, I think that that, um, 
that arrangement was originally set up between Dale Wilson and myself before John D took over. And it wasn't far into John D's tenure that he called me and basically in, in a really nice way said, this column sucks. Like we don't need it anymore. Right. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> and it was actually really <laughs> instructive, you know, now looking back, I didn't like it at the time, obviously, but that's how, that's who John was. Like there was, there was never any sugarcoating. He shot you straight, but, and, and you may not have realized it in the moment, but that was for the best all the way around. Um, John D, I guess a racer first, right? A racer always um, kind of leapt onto the, the national scene, I'm guessing late 70s, early 80s. Like I, I think his, I think his uh, claim to fame, at least early, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, John D won the first ever bracket finals. I believe it was NHRA bracket finals, if I'm, if I'm, no, I, I may stand to be corrected. I believe it was in New York, Pennsylvania. I think and, you're right. And, you know, the biggest bracket race to date at that time, John D won it in the old Puerto Rican dream Vega. And as you mentioned earlier, accumulated uh, numerous um, NHRA national event wins, a handful of big dollar bracket races as well. And I think by and large, like, I think the best way to, to sum up uh, John D's career, certainly, if not his life was like, as a, as a racer, he was a lifer right? Like just very much ingrained in every level of the sport and did so many different things that I think when you zoom out, I, I think was just his way of like, okay, I'm, this is what I love to do. And I'm going to figure out a way to be involved in it, right? First, it was as a racer. And then as a, as a fabricator turned businessman, like DRC racing products was a big, big deal is a big, big deal, like makes a, a ton of of various products that was all like, it was all John D, right? It was all hands-on as him and a yep. welder and figuring stuff out, right? For things that, that he needed, maybe first and foremost, that he realized that the rest of us needed and grew that business. And then to transition, you just think about racer, grease monkey, gearhead, right? Like I think John D personified all of those in some form or fashion. What doesn't typically correspond with that? Writer photographer. And again, like, and he was unbelievably talented in all of those things, like had this incredibly unique skill set. But I think, I, I think all of that is rooted in like, I have this incredible passion for this sport. What can I do to spend a spend more time within it? And B, what I think his legacy will is today and will continue to be for decades is what can I do to contribute to it? How can I give back to this sport that has meant so much to my life? And I don't know, it's a very short list of, of, of individuals in our lifetime that has had, that have had the impact on our sport that John DeBart John DeBartolomeo has. Very well said, Luke. I mean, you really summed up his legacy uh, very well. I mean, this guy was involved in every facet of racing from the seat to the to the paper that that race reports are written on and press releases. And, you know, he, he designed and fabricated parts. And John D was that one guy every time he was at the race and somebody said, uh, OK, parts call, parts call. We need someone with a welder immediately. He always had it. And 
you know, quite frankly, he was the guy you wanted to weld it because it was, you know, no offense to anyone else. It, it was going to be done to perfection. And John D was going to make sure that that your stuff was as good as as well prepared as it could be when it went back out. So uh, he had a, a very unique view of of drag racing from the highest level at the the big go in Indy to you know a little old foot brake race in Bristol and everywhere in between. I got to know John working the spring fling events, uh, just an absolute professional. Um, you know, I remember the first, I don't know, year or first event or two that I worked with him, you know, these things start dragging out to midnight or even close to, you know, maybe one o'clock in the morning. And John is still there uh, with his shirt pressed and tucked in as perfectly as it could possibly be. His shorts on, his camera around his neck, his pen in his hand, his paper, making sure he had every detail and every picture of every special moment that he could put this race report uh, on the internet or wherever he was putting it and then get it in whatever uh, magazine or, or online blog that he was doing, whatever he was doing, he was going to make sure that he highlighted these racers and these events at the highest level. And that's what this gentleman was all about. Uh, worked with me at at the WFC and the, the Labor Day event um, really really created uh, a, a very high awareness of what was going on at the racetrack he was a you know I made him a, a an administrator on our Facebook page and John would go in there and do his own thing and just really put pictures everywhere and race reports and just build this thing up and it took our sponsorships and our awareness to a new level just as a result of what he was doing. It was the same event it always was, but John made it exceptionally special by the work that he put in. That's the way it was with everything he did, whether he was fabricating or doing a, a race report for whatever race he was working at the time. And, you know, this sport owes him a lot as individuals. We owe him a tremendous uh, gratitude because uh, he he dedicated, literally dedicated his life to making what we do special and putting it on the big stage. And you know, people like that, Luke, they don't come along very often. And John D, you know, was a picture of health up till about two years ago and you know he always seemed to take extremely good care of himself when you looked at him again he was always fully pressed and looking good in good shape he he didn't take scooters and golf carts and all those things he walked around the racetrack wherever he was and he would uh he would just carry all that load and camera and everything and um you know, to say that he's going to be missed would be a, a gross understatement. This this gentleman is going to be, his presence is going to be a tremendous loss for racing, whether it's on the business side or the the on track side. And uh, and again, just can't express enough that uh, our thoughts and our prayers are, are sent to the Debar Lameo family and his extremely large circle of 
of uh, friends and extended family. Uh, this is a this is a tremendous loss to mankind. It's a tremendous loss to racing, and I know it is to the DeBartolomeo family. So uh, we're wishing all of you the strength to get through the the difficult times ahead, not just days, but weeks, months, and and certainly years. But rest in peace, Johnny D. You were one of a kind, my friend. As we make the difficult transition into on-track events last week, let's let's start. I, I don't, there's a lot of directions we could go with this, Big Jen. I know you want to talk dream team and 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 you've got you've got some insights to share from that. But I think the place to start, big man, there was a 20 grander in New Media. There's a big race in New Media. The the biggest day was a 20 grander, and the winner was a familiar face. But I think it's the first time he staged a Dakar in 2022. Peter Biondo is in his 50s, Big Jed. And he just rolls out there once every, I don't know, three, four, six months and makes it look just as easy as he made it look in his 20s. Peter Biondo claims the main event win at New Media, $20,000 richer. Uh, I mean, I want to say that that's just the goat doing goat things. Like, that's how this feels, right? Yeah, it is how it feels, Luke. It's certainly, you know, this should be surprising because he doesn't make many laps and he doesn't uh, give himself a whole lot of opportunities to go out and race. And, you know, he, he likes to, he's got young kids. He likes to stay around home when he's not putting on fling events. And behind the scenes, I think people can see this in the product, but Peter's working extremely hard on the spring fling brand it was his and Kyle's uh, vision, and it was their baby. And obviously, with Kyle not with us any longer, uh, Peter surrounded himself with a few more staff members and just dedicated everything he had. He's, he stopped working daily at the family business, and he is committed 100% to spring playing events and just really making that vision continue to march forward that he and Kyle had. But when he gets a chance... He straps in, throws the belts and the helmet on, and he just continues to impress. You know, I think the last time he raced was uh, when he drove Big Red at the uh, Guaranteed Million in Montgomery, which was November. Um, by the way, one of the coolest things I've ever got to sit back and watch just how he operates and how he works. Um, and then he gets in what I think is a brand new car for him, Luke. I, I I remembered what his other car looked like, and this one didn't look like that. So it looks like a, a new hot rod or, or he borrowed someone's or something. I believe he debuted that car midsummer last year. But again, Peter races four times a year, so it probably doesn't have two dozen runs on it. You know? <laughs> yeah, probably not. But yeah, he got the 20K win and what you know was a talented field uh, there in New Media. Um, obviously, uh a big event in that part of the country. Um, I think it was limited to 150 entries, if I remember correctly. So you typically are going to get, you know, a lot of badasses that's that's coming after that purse and that limited field like that. And then Peter shows up and gets it done for 20K. And that's super impressive, Luke. It really is. But, you know, when you win something like that, I, I don't know. I've won a few good races in my life, and I just I can't wait now to get to the next one I, you know i'm like i'm on a roll i'm ready to stage what did he do he turns the keys over to emily and 
and because you know she got a birthday and all that and he's like go do your thing have fun and just gets out of the seat wins 20k and gets out of the seat and gives it to his wife like now you're you're shaming us on the racetrack you're you know you're now you're a better husband than i am i just i don't know i could i, I could really just not like this guy he's but already far better looking than we could ever dream to be like. yes unfortunately i love him uh but you know that was really impressive really proud of pete for what he accomplished over the weekend I realized as, as you were speaking that I misspoke, which caused you to miss, misspeak. This was not Peter Biondo's first on-track appearance of 2022. I realized I was there in Tucson. He drove the Paravolaris mobile, won a 10-grander, made it to the semis of the 50-grander. I mean, sure it's, it's just incredible to come out. I mean, literally once every two, three months. And seemingly, I know it's not every time that he goes out, but seemingly every time is not just, you know, a shell of Peter Biondo, not just competitive. Like, by and large, he wins on still huge stages. Like, I, I almost think that's more impressive than watching him do it week in and week out on, on some levels. So really impressive stuff. Just uh, had to take that opportunity to sing Peter's praises. Big Jed, you spent the weekend in Holly Springs, Mississippi for the Dream Team. We previewed the Dream Team last week. We completely swing and miss on all of our predictions. In, in our defense, we never got down the list to junior dragsters. I had the junior dragster dream team pegged, but I can't even claim that now because we, we didn't touch on that last week. How was it um, in person on hand at the dream team? It looked like it was very weather plagued. It looked like it was a, a difficult weekend, but dream team champions were still crowned, crowned. What was your takeaway? Yeah, look, it was, it was an incredible event. I want to say that first and foremost, um, you know, you, you, we all have expectations of winning the purses and you see all the races on the schedule. And then you think in the economic times that we're in, you know, the crowd should be manageable. Hopefully, well, I'm hoping it's good for them. You know, I got my fingers crossed, but you know, there's 32 dream team top bulb racers. So there's uh, there's 32 times five there. So, you know, you know, we're going to have a decent crowd, but just not sure what happens outside of that, but just, wanting this to be good for Britt and Galen and you get there and it's like holy crap do these do these people not have to stop and buy fuel because there were 580 ish entries at the event the place was slammed and it was packed and then you start thinking okay well there's a lot on the schedule here to complete in four days and one of those is a gambler's race day so basically it's three days of racing and we know there's some weather coming so now we've got uh got some challenges on our hands here and that showed it and it was the challenges were not a product of anything that anyone could control at that point the challenges were all downs they were the fact that we needed a time run on friday uh, there were a lot of people that that would have gotten a new entry time run and basically just made sense to give everybody one. There was weather late on Saturday night, more weather into Sunday morning. And that just really got a stranglehold on the event to where it just couldn't shake itself free. And unfortunately, you know, they, they just really couldn't finish much of anything outside of some gamblers races on Thursday and the 
dream team itself, the dream team race itself, which wrapped up Sunday. You know, they tried to finish Saturday's race on Sunday, basically had to split Friday's purse. Uh, that got to fourth round on Friday, late Friday night and early Saturday morning, decided to stop there. And then by the time the weekend had gotten to a point where you could see that couldn't finish, they decided just to split that purse among the remaining racers. Can't really remember how many was left, but I think it was in a 30 range, 30-ish range for the bottom and whatever for the top, maybe 50, 60, I don't know. But um, they... They got into Sunday and the rain was letting up and allowing us to get on the racetrack. But Luke, you've been to the races a lot. You've seen that amount of rainfall overnight. And what happens? It gets under the rubber. The rubber starts peeling. And the, the only decision they could make was to scrape the track on Sunday and get all of that up. And, you know, they brought in a, a jet dryer from Memphis. Uh, dragway in, in Memphis International, which is about an hour up the road. They they put in maximum effort. Britt and Galen were on the racetrack at 6 a.m. Sunday themselves with blowers, blowing puddles and doing everything they could. The staff worked a ton of hours, worked themselves to death, and they did all the racing that they could do given the challenges that they faced and I thought made as good a decisions as you can make. Sunday or Saturday's race wrapped up Sunday afternoon, Luke, or evening about seven o'clock when the rain came again. There were 16 top bulb entries, I believe, and five bottom bulb. So that purse was split, but they did get Dream Team winners, which was very important because it's called the Dream Team Challenge. So proud of them for being able to, to crown new champions in two of the three classes. The, the junior champions were repeat champions, but um, you know, I don't know what it looked like from the outside. Uh, I do know there was some chatter in the pits about all they want to do is get two rounds done. They split this purse. They get their buyback money and split this purse and go home. That is the last freaking thing. The promoters, the promoters want to see winners. They want to stand in that winner's circle with somebody that, you know, changed their life or at least changed their their week, their day, their year, whatever, by winning something so special on the racing landscape. So Galen and Britt wanted winners. Uh, unfortunately, just everything around them and a massive crowd kept that from happening. I know there are some changes to the event in the works, and they are going to uh, make the, the necessary adjustments to give themselves the best opportunity to be successful and get the most amount of winners in future events and and i look forward to seeing those things announced when they're announced but all in all look uh it was still a super special race um with a great atmosphere and a great vibe around it and uh for me it didn't end the way that that any of us racers wanted it to end but for me it it didn't really take away from the special feel of the race it, it was still incredible to that end, Big Jed, I noticed that we did not have a repeat champion in the top bulb dream team. What WW dot what went wrong? Uh, no, that the uh, the team bad guys did not repeat on the top bulb dream team uh, challenge. Um, did you get past the call out round? We, we did squeak past the call out round, uh, five 
I know. Squeak by um, that one. <laughs> uh, Big Jed did get uh, nominated by the other team. You know, we had that discussion as we previewed the race. That happened to me a couple of times. Let's lead the off with an year. easy one. Yeah. So we led off with Big Jed. You know, I was an easy target for him. Um, all I had to do was run uh, run Tova Marshall, uh, which was the the winner of uh, the the big twenty grand shootout at Page's uh, Page Hamlin's race in Texas. So. Uh, this team, as it turns out, Luke, they were all 19 or younger and uh, a bunch of young guns out there ready to get after it. They called out Big Jed and put him on the, on the line first. And Big Red got a wind light, obviously, because we ended up 5-0 and oh, and then the rest of my team followed with wind lights. We Take got note, youngsters, this is a surefire way to get a mention on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Just call out Big Jed. <laughs> yeah, it worked out good. <laughs> Uh, we, my team, uh, got by round two, we got into round three where Chad, uh, Axford's team completely overpowered us. We didn't race bad, but they raced really good and they just whipped up on us, put us down three to two with us getting the last win light. So we were down three to one that, that, that exited us from the program and, uh, they got ousted the next round and Donnie Burleson team, Donnie B out of Texas gets it done on the top bulb, uh, really impressive racing by that group. As we know, they're, they're very good racers anyway, but team Donnie B got the win over Adam Russell's team, which was uh, another talented team. So congratulations to the top bulb dream team champions, Donnie B. They deserved it. They earned it. And, uh, that team will uh, go down in history as the, uh, as the second best dream team champions that ever was yeah i had to make us sound like still the best but <laughs> that, we got was, yeah, that was donnie burleson bart nelson i believe chad branham was on that team i believe chad sandlin was on that team i'm missing one you remember the fifth off the top of your head uh, um yeah you named bart nelson uh bleh. Shoot. We're going to have to look that up. We're leaving somebody yeah. out. We're singling yeah. somebody out. Sorry, guys. The pick, the, the odds-on favorite, the, the Team Williams, that was Troy, Gary, Donovan, Ryan Harum, Gage Birch, I believe. I think they advanced the semifinal round. Is that right? Yeah, I think, uh, think Team Donnie B got by them, if I remember correct. Well, there was a lot happening right in there. I wasn't able to just watch that as it played out like I wanted to. I was still in the race, so running around like chicken, my head cut off. But um, I think that's how it happened. But nonetheless, uh, that that team did look best on paper. But as we know, it's racing, Luke. And, and we don't race yeah, on paper. We don't race on paper because if we did, the bottom ball race wouldn't even have needed to be contested. Good point. Good point. We, uh, we, we both agreed at the end of last week's episode that we would take team Rick bear against the field. And I still don't know that that's a bad pick, but it did not work out for us. Team Rick bear, which was Rick bear, Lucas Walker, Charlie Lockhart, Nick Hastings, Gage Birch, um, advanced to the semifinals in their, uh, attempt to defend their dream team championship but they ran into a brick wall there. It was one of the teams that we mentioned as a, as a potential threat, but boy, big Jed, did that threat come through? It did. Uh, obviously team Daniel Riddle was, you know, loaded with talent. I mean, David Bell, Will Jones, um, um, Daniel Riddle, uh, Todd Berry and uh, Tim Pace. Those, 
those are great foot brake racers. But, you know, again, if you just play in the odds, the other team just looked unbeatable. Uh, but, you know, you only get one chance here. You don't get the best three out of five against one another. So um, it's one-on-one, three out of five, and Daniel Riddle's team stepped up and got it done, which was no surprise. It really wasn't. They, they, they beat several great teams along the way. Um, one of those, well, no, we wasn't a great team, but they beat us. Uh, <laughs> they, they whooped up on us. David Bell spanked me real good in the, in the dream team race, uh, second round of the team that I was on team, Seth Lancaster, and they went on to win. You know, one of the great special surprises to me was the team that they got to race and got uh, got by in the final was team billy parker which is a group from one of my local tracks here i-22 motorsports park and it's you know it's guys that we race against on a regular basis and we know how good they are but they don't they don't get out a whole bunch they don't race in in these kind of atmospheres a lot but they showed none of that really mattered they're really strong group and uh, proud of the boys from I-22 for making it to the final round. Certainly proud of Daniel Riddle and, and his group for getting it done. Uh, that, was a, that was a cool final round to watch. And all of those racers at any given time race at I-22, every one of them on both teams outside of David Bell. He's from Arkansas. So, um, you know, so kind of a local feel for me to see these guys getting it done. So that was, that was pretty special. Is that your way of saying that Alabama foot brake racers are the best foot brake racers. Oh, Luke, you dragged it out on me, but yeah, I mean, really we are (laughs) really, they are the best foot brake racers around. So that was, that was fun to watch. We won't spend too much time on the, uh, the junior dragster dream team. We didn't preview it last week, but it's worth mentioning team Chris Rackford uh, for the second consecutive year, I believe big Jed wins the dream team challenge. I don't have the roster in front of me, but I know that that was Chris Rackford. I know that was Jesse Fritz. I know that was Jesse Lasick. Uh, I apologize. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure the other two team members, but that a stacked team, like I say, if we were going to lay odds on the junior dragster field, not knowing every competitor in that field, um, that's probably where my money would have been. Team Chris Rackford knocks off team Ryan Psalm in the final round. In addition to the dream team, as you mentioned, Big Jed, Unfortunately, none of the other major events were completed. They did finish up um, some Thursday night gamblers races. If you want to run through those results and then we'll move on to NHRA from the weekend. Yeah. So the Thursday gamblers races, uh, there was a 5k top bulb race, Jeremy Holcomb, a local racer here to me from, from a right around here around the house. Really proud of him getting it done over Nate dog, Nathan Lackney and the uh, 2k bottom bulb race was won by Cameron Thomas over a racer that I talked about in the preview, Wesley Lockhart, super talented uh, bottom bulber, foot brake racer, uh, brother of Charlie Lockhart, showing uh, again how talented he is making that final round there. And then the juniors, it was Grace Varner over John Varner. The Varner family really got after it and, uh, and made the final round an all Varner affair there on the Thursday Gamblers race, junior dragster. And again, uh, the, the top and bottom bulb races uh, for the 25K, you know, they, they saw they were going to have a massive crowd, Luke. I didn't say that earlier. And they combined the purses 
just took all of the purse and made it split down the middle for two days. It was 225Ks on the top, 212Ks on the bottom. And those races got split up uh, prior to uh, completion before uh, before rain came and got too late one night. So that uh, that stunk a little bit. But again, uh, great event and look forward to, to the next one. Really, really jacked up. J.J was there jj raced on his first big stage on motor mania so he was jacked and he uh he got by some super tough competitors and he's all fired up and now ready to have a bottom bulb dream team next year with his old man on it so i'm gonna get to race the dream team on the bottom with my boy so uh, you know that's a year away but i'm already jacked up and fired up ready about it Nice. I, I got to let you take the stage here for a moment, Jed, because you always like to frame this as, you know, old big Jed, old washed up big Jed used to be good at this stuff. Um, there were four main events between the two classes. Nothing got completed to your earlier point, but there was a big red Nova in at the split in three of the four, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, Race really good on the top, Luke. Uh, made the split in Friday's top bulb race that was in the fourth round. Uh, made the split in Friday's bottom bulb race that was in the fourth round. Exited the program with a triple O two red after I pulled two thou out. Oh my gosh! In the second round of Saturday's top bulb race, and then um, made it to five cars and got in the split on the bottom bulb side. Uh, as I said in pre pregame here with you, um, my results on the bottom were way better than my performance. Uh, I did have the buy run with a perfect triple O, um, I don't know, triple O seven or whatever it was on the bottom in Saturday's race, uh, held the buy for a couple of rounds. I defended that buy with an O 30. Uh, the first against the first competitor and 066 against the second competitor and <laughs> trending got, in the wrong direction <laughs> and I, I got by with it so i should have been out of the program uh somehow slipped in there at, and made it down to five cars and uh, felt very fortunate to get in on that split so don't let the results fool you uh big jed still washed up and still struggled on the bottom but arguably the loosest tree I think I have ever been on and ever seen. I had uh, 25 to 30 numbers out of the box from the tracks I race at at home. And uh, I, you know, that 066, I'm calling that an 041 on my miss. So um, <laughs> that's, a, that's what no it should 40. have been <laughs> when they, and I thought I was 30 when I left and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. You know, I was, going, I was looking and it looked like it should have looked or whatever on the racetrack. And I, I get my ticket and she handed me my ticket and I got my dome light on the car and I, I see it's 066. And I'm like, no, uh, you gave me the wrong ticket, ma'am. Uh, this says 066 on it. It should say 030. Uh, but no, it actually was the right ticket. <laughs> so struggle, bud. Struggle bus. Uh, I've gotten to the point off the bottom where nothing surprises me anymore. They could hand me one that says I'm two thirty on the tree. I'm like, I guess that's my ticket. <laughs> yeah, well, I I put it in the stack with the rest of them. Rolled on. Uh, the remainder of the show is going to be NHRA heavy for the simple reason we we discussed this briefly on last week's episode. The weekend, Big Jed was NHRA heavy, specifically NHRA Lucas Oil Series heavy. We had 
Lucas Oil Series events in five of the seven divisions, and one of them was a double. So six NHRA points meets to discuss. And even before we get to that, I wanted to circle back on one from last week. We talked about the Division Five opener in Great Bend, Kansas last week, and I had it in my notes. I buried the lead. I, I think I got mixed up when we were talking about Phil Unruh, and I botched the trivia time. I think that I think that completely threw me off, Big Jed. I never circled back to... <laughs> what I think is was the obvious biggest story from Great Bend. And that was the uh, first appearance of the season. First appearance since, uh, I mean, like a COVID scare isn't, doesn't do this any justice. Uh, yeah. it, it was very, very legitimate concern that we were going to, to lose Gary Stinnett over the, over the winter. And Gary made it back and competed at Great Bend. And I actually, I wanted to talk about this last week because I got the opportunity to talk uh, to Gary Stinnett um, early part of last week, shortly after uh, his, his weekend at Great Bend. And he shared with me that, you know, there was, there was a time when he was, he was in a coma for over a week. And when, when he came to, his first thought was, I will never race again and that's okay. Like I can think, I can talk, I can help people. Life is, is counting his blessings. You know, life is very much worth, worth living. And he said, you know, there was a couple of days into that where I felt like, no, there's a chance. Like I, I could get back into a race car someday, man, that'd be awesome. And then it turned into, you know, a year off is not so bad. I'll come back in, in 2023 and I'll, I'll race again. And then, you know, days or maybe a week later, it was, you know, I think I could make Indy hadn't missed Indy since I forget what he told me, you know, 1986 or something ridiculous, right. Be really cool if I could get back for Indy. And then, you know, he's gets out of the hospital and he's getting stronger and he's going to the gym and he's making progress. And it becomes, you know, I've never missed the national event at Topeka since they opened the place. I've been to every one of them. It'd be awesome if I could make it to Topeka and things progress and he, and he continues <laughs> to get stronger, he continues to get better. And he goes, you know, I think I, I, I think I could go to Great Bend for the first Division Five race. I think I could go and and ride around on a golf cart and sell fog it. Right, that's his that's his new uh, business endeavor. Uh, it's a it's a fogging oil like NHRA contingency sponsor, et cetera. Right, and then a couple of weeks after that, you know, I think I could drive my race car at Great Bend. And it's just to listen to him tell the story of how it progressed, and then to hear him recap the weekend because. If you know Gary Stinnett, if you followed Gary Stinnett, like he is one of, if not the fiercest competitors I've ever been around, right? And and nothing short of of winning the event meets expectation, right? That's that's the way Gary's been since I've known him, right? There's very very high standards for himself, I think would be a, a fair way to put it. And to hear him talk about the weekend, he's like, well, obviously I I, I didn't win the race but like it was a huge win just to be there and to be back amongst my racing family and for him like and this really resonates with me he just talked about the opportunity to compete and the feeling you know at one point very very real feeling that that could be stripped away that he may never get that opportunity again and you could just tell like it was a perspective changing phone call to to hear his take on it and it was very nearly a, a a fairy tale story. Like he goes out, he makes his, his opening runs. He realizes, you know, it, it, it validates that, Hey, I can go down the racetrack. I mean, he's got 
oxygen in the trailer still like with a 30 foot cord just so that he can operate he's got a lot of help to even get to the staging lanes like he's not it's not an easy thing right and uh, but he's out there and he's competing he very much in gary stinnett's fashion if you've ever been to great bend it may be maybe short of denver like the most difficult place to dial a car in the world he makes the super comp shootout qualifies for it advances to the final uh, I believe he was runner up in the shootout and then ended up losing second round in the main event. And of course, that's what he wants to talk about. And he's like, yeah, you know, second round could have done this, could have done that. Right. It's, it's the old Gary coming out. Um, but just the, the gratitude that he had, like I say, the, the mindset shift that, that has to come with going through what he's been through. It was a really cool conversation. And I can only imagine everyone at that racetrack had to really have an appreciation for what he's doing. What, regardless of, of your past relationship with Gary Stinnett, whether you like the guy, like, cause, cause Gary could be a little bit off-putting, like it, it, you know, at times he's very, like say fierce competitor, very focused and, and that can rub people the wrong way. Um, but I think regardless of your perception of Gary Stinnett, if you were there, like you had to really appreciate what he's been through to get back. And it's just a special moment to see him out there competing. And it was special coming through the computer screen. So I can only imagine what it was like there in person. Yeah, Luke, great way of summarizing that whole series of events um, that, that Gary's been through. And, you know, we people like Gary Stenner are our heroes, you know, I mean, our, our own track heroes. Um, we, we tend to, to view those people as immortal. Um, you know, like nothing can go wrong. Everything's just perfect in their life and their health and everything else. And then he goes through what he goes through. And this is a guy that's a, that's a championship racer every time he straps the belts on and expects to win. Doesn't hope to, doesn't think he might, he expects to win. And then he goes and gets a, an A2 loss, which is at the least disappointing at a high level for a guy like Gary Stinnett and to hear his perspective on that and to be thankful just to be there, it puts it all in perspective about how fragile life is and how quickly it can turn, especially in the COVID era. Um, you know, my brother spent 35 days in the hospital and that's the toughest son of a gun I've ever seen. Um, I thought we were going to lose him. And, and, you know, you Gary Stinnett goes through something like that, comes out and, just hopes maybe to make it back to the track one day. And then as health progresses, his schedule just in, increases, increases. And, you know, now he wants to make two or three different races and then all the races and goes and gets an E2 loss and should be pissed off, but he's just happy to be there. And that's, that's refreshing at, at, a, at the highest level to hear that, that Gary Stennett not only made it out, you know, he's one of the ones the Wolves pulled out and that he's competing in the sport that, that he's helped build to what it is. And, you know, that's not just on the track. This is a guy that builds engines and sets up carburetors and does, you know, he, Gary don't just take his talent to the track and win. This guy does research and development at a high level. And I'm sure all that's been impacted by his health concerns. Just, you know, happy to get back to the track, strap in the car, make some runs really cool. And, you know, the E2 loss, well, I'm sure he's taking that in stride. That won't do anything but fuel his fire, and he will 
he will continue to get back to the level that we have seen from him so many times. And I know we'll be talking about his big win on the podcast real soon. So happy there was to a, see it. There was a time when we very much took for granted Gary Stennett holding that Wally. The next time that Gary Stennett holds the Wally, and, and that will happen, I'm 100% confident, it's going to be a really special day, not just for him, but I, I think for our sport at large. Definitely. Fast forwarding to action from this past weekend, Big Jed, the, I guess the marquee event on the Lucas Oil schedule was the one double divisional event held at the Texas Motorplex near Dallas. And Big Jed is a division four Lucas Oil Series race. So uh, obviously we're going to talk about the Stanfield family. <laughs> yeah. For the second time this season, we have a Stanfield family sweep in race one at Dallas Greg wins Superstock. Aaron wins Top Dragster, just like they did at Noble Oklahoma a little over a month prior. Not only did Greg Stanfield win Superstock, Big Jed, he put on a show in the process, his worst lamp in six rounds, 26, and I believe that was the only one in the 20s. Just to put into perspective, obviously, Greg Stanfield is your reigning NHRA Superstock world champion, collected his fifth NHRA Superstock World Championship a year ago, some two decades uh, following his fourth. He is absolutely on pace to do it again. Just for the perspective here, we talked about Ryan McClanahan, and Ryan McClanahan has had a stellar start to 2022. To date, Ryan McClanahan has won three NHRA Superstock events in just seven races. That's a pretty good batting average. Yeah. What Craig Stanfield has done to this point. I just mentioned Ryan Clan has been seven races. He won three of them. Greg Stanfield has accumulated more points than Ryan McClanahan has to this point in six races. That's one less race. Craig Stanfield, wow. three wins, one runner up, one quarterfinal already in just six events. Um, I, I think given what those two guys have put together, I don't think it is fair to call either one of them like the odds on favorite at this point. Greg's score to this point looks a little bit stronger. I think it's fair to say one of those two will hold the trophy at year's end. And just, I mean, what he did last year, what Greg Stanfield did a year ago, seemed like a dream season. And yet every time you turn around, he just keeps duplicating the feat. Once again, he shares the winner's circle with his son, Aaron, who... We talked about this uh, a few episodes ago after Aaron won Noble. I don't know logistically if it's possible. I don't know if his schedule will allow him to attend enough races to compete for the top dragster world championship. But if it does, he could contend for that. Like he is absolutely, he's got two wins and a semi, you know, out of three or four races. Um, and coming into the season, if you listed off the classes that Aaron Stanfield is going to compete, I think top dragster is probably the third option as to what you would think he'd compete for a championship in. We're talking pro stock. We're talking factory stock where he's won back-to-back -back world championships. It's not out of the question for the calendar to turn to September, October. And we be talking about the possibility of Aaron Stanfield winning, not one, not two, but three NHRA world championships in one season. That's possible. I love that. I'm, you know, I'm bad at trivia time, but I'm going to say that hasn't been done. Uh, has there anybody been... won three championships? No, not when nobody's ever run three classes. Like you can't run <laughs> yeah, more okay. than two at an event, right? Yeah, yeah, I didn't think I that's think been it, done. It's it's monumental, and and we talk about it at length. 
there's been, correct me if I'm wrong, there's been three times that a driver has won two world championships in the same season. Just three in the history of the sport. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't want to set the expectations too high. Winning three would be unbelievable, but certainly the foundation is set. It's possible. Well, that apple obviously didn't fall far from the tree. Um, just it's, it's really kind of crazy how much talent is in that Stanfield tandem. Obviously it's father, son, but two guys with the same last name don't always mean you've got the same talent. You know, you, you got your Richardson's, you got your Williams and, Stanfield obviously don't take a back seat to anyone. I mean, that is, we've talked about it over and over at, you know, at length here on the show about the, the differences in your approach in these different categories and from going to hitting the top to hitting the bottom and letting the clutch out. And that, you know, how much hand eye coordination and focus and skill that takes to adjust class to class to class and be great at all of them it's it's truly remarkable what kind of talent level the stanfield family has and ryan mcclanahan putting up great numbers and really strong results and you look across the you know you look across the point sheet or whatever and you see what stanfield is doing you know i don't does that kill your spirit does it motivate you it's going to be interesting to see all that you know, works itself out in the end, but I could just um, imagine Ryan McClanahan pulling up like Drag Race Central and being like, "This effing guy!" Like, what? yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can see that as well. That's that's probably what I would say anyway. But uh, it, you know, Ryan McClanahan's championship racer and a and a guy that don't quit. So uh, yeah, I'm sure he's going to keep plugging at him, and it's going to be great to hear your breakdown sometime late summer early fall as to, to how this thing's working out and whether or not it's over. Yeah. A handful of tidbits from, from Dallas. First and foremost, Lance Abbott ran the table in top sportsman doubled winning both events. It was Lance's first two appearances of the season. Pretty good way to start things off in top sportsman. Jeff Lopez, friend of the program nearly duplicated the feat in stock eliminator gets the win in race one over to country dog. Jimmy Hidalgo Sr., runner-up in race two, two to country puppy. Cuda. Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. gets the better of Lopez in the final. In that final round, Jeff Lopez, three thousandths red for his first loss of the season. Prior to the Dallas double, the only event that he'd been to was the Division Four race in Noble, Oklahoma, which he won. Goes to Dallas, wins race one, stays in Dallas, runner-up in race two after, if my math is right, reeling off 17 consecutive stock eliminator win lights to start his season. Mm. Leave it to my man, the original Tex-Mex, to try to make a liar of me. I claimed two months ago, it's over. Ain't nobody catching Brad Burton. And I'm going to stick with that as much as I love Jeff. But, (laughs) I mean, he's 17 and one. (laughs) I don't <laughs> know. I, I don't, I don't think I haven't, I haven't reached out to, to Jeff on this because I, I, frankly, I don't want him to spoil it for me. Um, I, I'm very confident in saying that coming into the season, Jeff Lopez had zero intention of pursuing an NHRA national championship. Jeff's busy with work and family and racing junior dragsters. And that seems to be what's motivating him right now. That said, 
when you have a start like this, like it's kind of difficult not to go. And I think, again, haven't talked to Jeff about this. I think this boils down to Johnny Gonzalez, Jeff's car owner. If Johnny wants to win a world championship, if it means a lot to him, Jeff will go. And, and he will absolutely be a threat. And he could make a mockery of everything that I've said and, and just throw the dagger in the heart of Brad Burton. Now, Brad's going to have a lot to say about that too. Um, but again, I just thought it was worth mentioning. Um, three races, 17 win lights, one loss. Jeff's in pretty good position. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, you know, obviously, we know how great of a racer Jeff is. Um, but, you know, he does seem like he's content just to hang around relatively close to home and do his thing. But I don't know how you don't stretch your schedule out a little bit when you're 17 and one loop. I, I mean, with those kind of results, I would imagine it's, it's going to force him to do a little more. And, um, Robbie, if you're listening, just, you know, let him have a couple extra vacation days, but, and, and let him get out there and get after it. But what I love more about all that is we had an original Tex-Mex, a country dog and a country puppy making final rounds. <laughs> I mean, how awesome is that? I mean, it's like the, the all nickname uh, team making final rounds out there uh, at the division four race. So good stuff. D4 is heavy on the nicknames. You got a good point there. Yeah. Uh, uh, some other standout performances from the weekend, Jay Bunce, super street runner up in race one, super gas win in race two. And it's my understanding that that super gas win came in a car that he had not driven prior to the weekend. So just uh, another feather in the cap for one of the guys that uh, may not be as, as nationally known as he should, but Jay Bunce can win in anything. Uh, yeah, he's one of my dogs. Yeah, you've seen that in action. Yeah, love Top Jay ball, Bunce. Bottom ball, pro tree, full tree, long track, short track. Jay Bunce can do it. That was on display at Dallas. Chase Williams, competition eliminator, win in race one, defeated Adam Hickey in the final, runner-up in race two to Greg Camplain. And that runner-up, or I'm sorry, that win in race two for Greg Camplain vaulted him to the national points lead. Um, it looks at this point, it's pretty early in the season yet, uh, I think even with this weekend in the books and, and divisional events all across the country, uh, I don't think we're quite at the halfway point of the NHRA season just yet. We're not too far from it, uh, but when you take in all the divisionals, all the nationals, I don't think we're quite 50% of the way through. So too early to make great, great claims there, but Camplain takes the lead on paper. And at this point, it looks like uh, it is Greg Camplain and it is David Eaton, like look, appear to be the two vying for this year's national championship. Just an interesting kind of side twist to this. And we'll get to the division two event at Rockingham a little bit later in the show. David Eaton won competition eliminator at Rockingham. There were, there was one other comp car on the grounds, one round race to win comp eliminator. It's great for contingency. It's great for as much as you can make um, competition eliminator make financial sense. It's a pretty good return on investment for one run. Um, and I, my initial thought was, Ooh, I don't, I don't know what that does for you points wise. And then I saw it, Big Jed, Greg Campaign won five rounds in Dallas against, you know, that, that division four field buying for a hundred thousand dollars. Know, I think it's fair to say that's about as tough and talented as of a comp eliminator field as you're going to get anywhere for winning that race. Greg Campaign earned 95 points for beating one dude at Rockingham, David Eaton, 85. Oh, Never wow. seen this before. I I feel like 
perhaps that's a bit of a flaw, a bit of a loophole in the NHRA point system. But yeah, that's a, that's a big one. And it's, it's interesting when you get to counting points. Like I have been at a race where Frank Aragona, it was a double at Topeka a few years ago. I think we talked about this because Frank ended up winning the championship that season. He won the first leg of the double and then one or two cars broke and it took race two from a five round race to a four round race. And he withdrew from the race because winning a four round race, why would he's basically without saying it out loud, he basically said, well, why would I win a four round race when I could win a five round race and get more points? Cause I'm going to win wherever I go. <laughs> he withdrew from the race. He was there in Topeka from New Jersey. Right. Wow. And uh, so there's obviously a lot that goes into play here, but I, I think when you say, okay, I can win one round and get almost as many points as I do for winning five rounds, that seems like a no brainer. I don't think those opportunities come, come along very often. Um, but David Eaton putting together a fantastic resume. I believe that's win number four on the season. Like I say, at this point early on, it looks like him and Greg Camplain are going to do battle there. What may be even more interesting, Big Jed, than the, than the national points chase and competition eliminator this season, as we've mentioned in the past, it pays 10 grand to win the national championship. It's still the national championship, right? It's a big deal. I don't mean to undervalue it, but Jed, it's a hundred thousand dollars to the division four competition eliminator champion. Thanks to Roger Brogdon and the folks at roof tech. And obviously Chase Williams has put himself in a great position to get that with back-to-back finals this weekend. In fact, just looking at the points, I think that the final round may have been really, really big because if Chase Williams beats Greg Camplain in that final round of race two, he's kind of running away with this thing by winning Camplain keeps it on level footing, right? For the most part. And those two are neck and neck. There's some others that could certainly get involved, but it looks like one of those two is probably going to win that hundred grand, which again is going to render another of my bold predictions, very useless. I said it's over after Jeff Taylor won race one. My man JT has not been out of round two since. It is not looking good. It may not be over. I may have to eat those words. Um, <laughs> I, I'm rooting for a, a hard top-end charge from, uh, from Jeff Taylor, make a run at that Division Four comp title. I'm sure he'll have his, uh, have his say. Jeff will, Jeff will get a turnaround and come back. But, you know, I mean, these guys – Obviously, the the two that you mentioned, Chase Williams, Greg Camplain, uh, kind of a heater between the two of them, uh, making turning on a lot of wind lights, making good laps. So that's a that's a sport that's a a part of our sport or a category in our sport that seemingly just kind of get on a roll and you know start making good runs and great things happen to you. Not saying there's not a lot of great runs out there, but when you're going that fast and something you shut the door on and knowing you have to make a great run, I don't know. It seems to, to be added pressure that a lot of them come up short on. So um, hopefully Jeff's not putting a lot of pressure on himself and he gets turned around. I, I'd like to see as many people in the hunt as can be. That's hundred grand. It's big. It's special. Luke, is there any chance I mean, I've called this a rich man's pissing contest. Is there any chance that two guys like Chase Williams and Greg Campaign can get to a point where they see it's going to be one or the other, where they say, hey, man, let's let's make this thing 70-30 or 
something. Is there any chance people at that level and that category compete and split money? I might be mistaken, Jed, but I, I knew we had all of this information when we when we first previewed the season. But the way that Brogdon has structured this, like the payback is rich. I believe second place gets 50 grand. So holy cow. I would initially say no, like 100 grand to win, 50 for second. Like whoever, whoever gets that would take it because look what they've got tied up in, in competing, right? So my initial instinct is to say there's probably no deal making made. And yet you step back from that for a second and think about the final round of most million dollar races, right? The late rounds of most, most million dollar races, those races get cut up when there's 10 cars left. The majority of those 10 racers have half million dollars worth of equipment sitting in the pits and split in an instant. Like it is yeah. frowned upon not to, right? So with that much money on the line, I don't know. I, I, I don't know Greg Campaign particularly well. I don't, I don't believe I've ever spoken with Chase Williams. I don't know what their mindset is or much less their financial standing, but um, you get that much money on the line. Like I kind of think it's human nature that I, I would say without knowing any more information than I know, I'll say 70, 30, it gets cut up. If, if it progresses to the point where it's obvious that it's down to two. Yeah. If there's five okay. people with a legitimate chance, that's probably a little different story. Okay. Makes me feel a little better. But I, I don't know. I, I kind of want that to be the case where, you know, your two dominant racers share that success financially because that's, that's something they don't get to race for. Um, and I just, I, I guess I assumed that Jeff was in a door car. Yeah, he uh, is. Really, He's in like a, a modified car, like a yeah, know, a, a glorified super stalker, I believe. Yeah. yeah, I know this class is filled with roadsters and and dragsters, odd combinations. But I, I assume Jeff himself was in a door car. But I don't know. Should be fun to watch, and um, you know, they're going to win huge, huge money. Interesting to me to see if that can continue as well. You know, can they? Can that stay at that level next year and beyond? Can Roger? keep those uh, companies involved and, and that kind of help. And look, did I, do I remember right that there was an opportunity this could get bigger? I mean, they were like getting sponsors involved or something, wasn't they? And there was an opportunity that purse could grow. Yeah, there was no chance of it shrinking and definitely potential for it to grow, which seems yeah. just insane, right? Um, but yeah, no, it's, 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 it's going, I say it's going to be fun to watch. The, the Division Four Tour is all but over like there's one more division four event in Tulsa, but obviously racers can earn points at out of division. So I don't think that this will be over until very near season's end, but uh, it's definitely going to be exciting to track one other interesting sort of dramatic, <laughs> if you will, one of those things that people love to talk about. And yet I, I don't <laughs> really see anyone talking about from Dallas. We had an excessive breaking disqualification, big Jed. Those are always fun. They're rare. They're, they're, they're great fodder for us. We, we live for content here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. The offender was a familiar offender, a repeat offender, if you will. Jerry Emmons was disqualified. They're Jerry Emmons, reigning stock eliminator world champion, disqualified from super stock in race one at Dallas following a quarterfinal victory. At first, his wind light was on disqualified for excessive braking opposite Corey Mahi, who was reinstated. I guess that's normal 
Like it just seemed odd to me. Like I, I understand you're going to throw Jerry Emmons out. Like we put the other guy back in, but I guess that's how that works, right? Then Mahi goes on to win the semifinal, ends up losing to Greg Stanfield in the final round. So there's two lines of thinking here, Big Jed. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you know exactly where I stand. I'll, I'll repeat it briefly. With that said, um, reasonable minds can disagree, right? The one stance that you could take here is, look, this is a repeat offense. This is a trend from Jerry and, and maybe to some extent, like the Emmons family, right? And they are, are, are racing in a, in a dangerous manner. And from what I heard, I haven't seen the clips, like from, from what I heard, Jerry was um, reprimanded, warned the round prior and got on the brakes, got out of shape, right? And obviously didn't cause an accident, but if he was not out of control, I think it's fair to say was on the verge of out of control. And so you could take the tack that says like, look, this is something that has happened with uh, repeatability over several years. And this is a, an individual or a, a group of individuals that are putting other racers at risk, right? So from NHRA standpoint, if you want to like part of the focus and necessarily so is, is one of safety, right? And if you're coming at this from that angle, I get it. The, the, the counter argument is competitive balance, if you will. And the argument that I will make and will continue to make from that standpoint is that as long, Big Ched, as long as we have a set of rules in place that penalizes us for going too fast. We as racers are going to slow down before the finish line. Like you, I don't care what you try to do. You, you cannot legislate that out of the game and trying to police a policy like excessive braking. While I, I understand it from a safety standpoint, from a competition standpoint, trying to police that is wholly subjective. And by nature, then subjectivity means unfair right? Like you can't, how do you know how hard one person hit the brakes versus another? How do you know, how do you, how do you decipher quote unquote loss of control? Right. And I just, sure. I think it's impossible to police. And therefore I, I've felt, feel and continue to feel like it has, that rule has no place in our sport. And, and I know people get up in arms when I say that because it's so unsafe. Right. And I, what I fall back on is like our sport is inherently unsafe. Like to me, there is no difference in Jerry Emmons blowing a, a, a cooling line off coming across the track and hitting me. than there is him hitting the brakes at the finish line coming across the track and hitting me. It's a chance that I take in competition. If you want to argue that they elevate the odds of that, you know, the aggressive finish line driver elevates the odds of that. I'm listening. Like, I think that's a fair argument. Again, I just, disagree and feel like there's no possible way to fairly police it your thoughts yeah Luke. i have nothing to add to that uh, you know again as you stated um you, you can't take it out of the sport it's just it's not possible it's instinct it's it's reaction it's as part of people's strategy you know it, it's a, it's just a plan you have sometimes that that changes instantly and when you have to mash the brake pedal to, to keep from breaking out or whatever it is, 
the 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 pressure you apply to it in a pressure moment and, and a, a sudden instinct it's just not possible to say you can't mash them too hard and when excessive is not quantifiable uh i just don't see how you say it was too much uh, you know they put sensors or, or some kind of uh monitoring system at the end of the racetrack and say if you if you kill more than 10 percent of your average mile per hour in a 100 foot span you're disqualified okay if you got sensors that do all that okay then sounds good but when excessive can't be quantified or measured i just don't see where you have the ability to to eliminate someone for it and accidents are not always due to excessive braking it's due sometimes to failed parts and those things so i don't like it um certainly support jerry and and uh, you know his uh, his racing and his style and i don't i've watched him quite a bit don't see him doing anything stupid or dumb he's a smart guy he's a clear thinker and you know, I just feels somewhat targeted to me, but you know, it is what it is. And Luke, something we didn't talk about in pre-show, this particular event was marred by an accident that Jeremy Heffler was involved in. Um, I don't, you, I, I can see you um, on camera, on your camera, and it sounds like you have no knowledge of this. No, this is news to me. Yeah. Um, Jeremy was involved in a top-end accident in Supercomp, I believe. It was a discussion that I heard a um, fair amount about at Holly Springs. And, um, you know, it sounded like your typical top-end drop. That's mere speculation on my part. That is not confirmed, uh, nor is that what I'm reporting. Um, but it sounded pretty bad. And uh, I think Jeremy's going to be okay um, from what I heard. but. Um, you know, I don't know if that happened prior to Jerry getting eliminated, if it happened after that could have had some impact. I don't know. But, you know, those type of things can and are going to happen in our sport because it is dangerous. We are racing cars and that's why they certify cages and chassis and make sure belts are good and safe and safety equipment's where it needs to be. And, you know, unfortunately, that's a part of our sport that I don't think will ever leave us. And when you try to regulate it at this level, it uh, it typically is going to cause some unrest throughout um, the the racers' discussions, and I'm sure this one didn't go well either. So, um, hated to hear about Jeremy. Certainly, thoughts and prayers out to him. I know he's a he's an old friend of yours, has been for a long, long time. You guys have done a lot of racing together, and you'll probably check on this after the show when you get an opportunity. So. Uh, Hopefully we get an update on Jeremy soon and, and hear some good results. Just to circle back to, to Jerry, like I want to be careful in how I frame this because I, I think it's no secret. I, I, I admire Jerry Emmons. Like we're, we're friends. I consider him a friend. He's been on the podcast before. So I, I, I want to, to stick up for him at the same time. Like I, I, I can't really advocate for a, a super aggressive finish line driver, finish line style, as you mentioned before, like we all have our moments, right? And I think the easiest way to, to get caught up in a race, it's one thing 
when you know 200 feet from the finish line that you're going to drop. Like, I think it's relatively easy to do that in a controlled manner where I see myself and, and other racers get into trouble is like making a decision late or trying to react to something their opponent does. Like, I think then no matter how much experience you have, it's really easy to, in the moment, be more aggressive than you probably intend to be. Right. And, and I think that's where a lot of us tend to get into trouble. Uh, not, I have no idea what the, what the situation was around this particular uh, episode with, with Jerry Emmons. And, and again, not advocating for, for um, overly aggressive finish line driving, but I do think it's fair like to say that I have seen Jerry and, and his brothers be very aggressive at the finish line to the point that I thought, Ooh, that's, that's, a, that was a little extreme, but no different than I've seen a hundred racers do the same thing. And to your earlier point, um, if there have been disqualifications for excessive braking over the last five years, uh, outside of Jerry Evans, I don't know of them. And, and he's got two now. And so I feel like there is a little bit of a added spotlight for whatever reason on what that guy does. Like I see other racers making the same, if you want to call it mistake, mistake, and they are not being reprimanded in the same way, which is the problem with a rule like this in the first place. Like it is, my father said uh, 25 years ago that this is selective prosecution. And that's a really good way to put it. Like it's, it's yep. a subjective thing that, that just can't be accurately policed. I do like your idea of sensors at given points on the racetrack. And if you kill a, a certain amount, you know, within the last 50 to hundred feet, like if there's a way to tangibly measure that I'd be on board with a, an excessive braking rule and, and, and system for disqualification, but as it is now complete subjectivity, uh, I just think it's opening Pandora's box and it's, it's just a, a road that I wouldn't want to go down as much as I advocate for the safety of our sport. Yep. I agree. Uh, that's very well said. And you have as good a view of this as anyone and your, your opinion, I think is spot on. So we'll see how, how that goes going forward. Cecil County NHRA division one event, not a ton to report from there. Stalba family domination, Big Jed. And when I say that, who's the first name that comes to mind? Tom. Tom Stalba. Tom Stalba didn't win at Cecil County. <laughs> His wife, Karen, wins top alcohol dragster. His son, Paul, wins the, the oldest junior dragster category, 13 to 17-year-old. His daughter, Emily, wins the 10 to 12 junior dragster category. Um, pretty memorable uh, outing for the Stalba family. I thought that was cool stuff worth mentioning. Uh, I don't really know the circumstances around this, but I will say it was really good to see Frank Aragona's name on the result sheet. Frank drove to a runner-up finish in competition eliminator, uh, lost to a longtime friend and, uh, and former partner, uh, Steve Zubka, or former teammate, at least Steve Zubka in that final round. Um, cool stuff. Great to see Frank back. Hope that he's doing well. Big Jed, I don't, I'm a little bit in the dark on this. I meant to do a little bit of research, make some phone calls earlier today, and I did not get an opportunity to. Um, super gas racer, young super gas racer, Will Monroe, involved in an on-track accident, two-car accident uh, in the quarterfinals of super gas that I believe also involved Dave Muller. Uh, I don't know the details to that. I don't know if that's another you know, potential excessive braking situation, and I, I don't want to speculate on that. But I know that um, Will Monroe is in pretty serious condition. A uh, young man 
uh, that, as I understand it, recently engaged, like got his whole life in front of him and uh, in a really scary scene there at Cecil. So just without knowing any details or reporting any details of the situation, just wanted to say that uh, Will Monroe family, friends, uh, our thoughts are with you, sir. Yeah, certainly hate to hear these incidents. And, and obviously we've had our share of, uh, of a somber discussion on this show and then talking about accidents. So um, hate to hate to hear these things, but um, first and foremost, just want everybody that was involved to, to be safe and well and get back to the sport they love and hopefully get better results next time out. But um, thoughts and prayers out to, to everyone impacted in that incident. On to Rockingham for the Division Two event, where little John, John LaBoose Jr., gets the super gas win, and that puts him in great position. Um, not only in super gas, he's actually currently leading the national points uh, standings in both super comp and super gas. Ironically enough, he leads both classes with the exact same points total, 467 points in super comp, 467 points in super gas. Obviously, that is a really solid score in both categories. It's not an insurmountable score just yet, but obviously... Um, Little John has put himself in position. He has built the foundation to make a run at not one, but two NHRA World Championships. Corey Taylor, I thought this was worth noting, noting Big Jed. Corey Taylor got the win in Superstock, and we gushed over Greg Stanfield's box store box score from when from those I can't even talk from his win at Dallas. Corey Taylor rolls out first round at Rockingham, turns it fourteen off the bottom in Superstock. Pretty good lap that point he proceeded to roll some out and get aggressive he was no worse than 12 the rest of the way pretty impressive pretty dominating performance from one Corey taylor en route to Superstock victory yeah luke that's 56 total and if i've counted them correctly there were only six rounds so uh that is a pretty pretty darn stout right there if you're letting go on the top and Corey let go on the bottom. So, yes, my, my bottom bulb love is showing big time right now for Corey Taylor. That is very, very impressive. Jeff Longany, we talked about him a week ago getting his first national event win in Charlotte. He follows that up with a divisional event win in Rockingham. So that's back-to-back -back stock eliminator wins for Longany. Sherman Adcock Jr. gets the win in Supercomp and just throws his hat right in the ring of what's already a very talent-laden field atop the Supercomp standings. Sherman Adcock Jr. is going to be a part of that points chase. And Big Jed, we've talked about him a fair amount on the show to this point early in the season, but our man Jeremy Hancock rolled to another top dragster final round. He was runner-up to Vaughn Cofield. Uh, out at Rockingham. That's his third final round in what I believe have been four attempts on the division uh, tour. Two wins, now a runner-up. Uh, I think it's fair to say he's got a stranglehold on the division two title. Uh, we've we've speculated a little bit on, uh, on his chances to possibly pursue a national title. I know he's been to one national event. I believe in his car, he got into Charlotte uh, and, and lost early. So I don't know what the future holds. Uh, we've As we've talked, his his top dragster entry is, is basically a glorified bracket car, not going to get into the field at the average NHRA national event. So I don't know what his, what his options are or his possibilities or, or what his intentions are even to that point. 
but uh, he keeps racking up final rounds on the divisional tour. And it's got to be tempting, if nothing else, to, to make a run at a world championship. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be tempting. Luca, you know, Jeremy um, doesn't really do this, I don't think, to try to win championships. I think he's just been out there having fun and he knows where his car can go compete and have an opportunity to win. He knows where it can't. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts his schedule and, and what events he chooses going forward. We know when that gets to a national event, it, it doesn't typically make the field. It wouldn't make the field in your average Division three uh, divisional um, that's obviously where the power is in this sport, Which seemingly is faster than the average national event, I would say. Yeah, yeah probably. So, so, uh, he's, he's got to get real selective there to try to, to have an opportunity to win in the current car that he has. So I'm not sure Jeremy will, will chase that or borrow equipment to go do it. Um, and, and other people's ride we'll, we'll, uh, we'll obviously see that play out soon, but you know, Sherman's one of the people I mentioned last week when we talked about. Uh, potential people throwing their hat in the ring for the the super comp or even super gas uh, championship so sherman getting that super comp win um gets me excited i like to see sherman win he's got had his share of uh, health challenges in the last little while too so whether you're an adcock or a hancock i love you um i don't like the way your names end uh but uh, I still love you. So good luck to you guys. Sorry, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I leave got, that alone. At least yeah, I got me. a little offline there. I apologize. <laughs> Speaking of championship contenders, Big Jed, Ed Olpen uh, secured yet another top sportsman victory, this time at the Division Six opener up in Boise. He got the win over Mark Austin. That win vaults Ed Olpen to the national points lead in top sportsman. At this point, I think it is very fair to say that the national championship goes through Don Mazir, probably goes through Vince Hoda as well, but Ed Olpen very much in the mix there following that win at the D6 opener. Our last divisional of the weekend, I believe the last one to get completed, um, was the division three opener at Indianapolis where Devin Eisenhower, was I think the headline winner. He gets the win in super comp. And if we can just rewind the tape a little bit, big Jed, the way that last season ended in super comp, it ended with Christopher Dodd holding the national championship trophy for a second consecutive year. The last racer to have a chance to unseat him was Devin Eisenhower. I believe Devin had to make the final round in Pomona to do that. And he fell early in competition at that national event. Those are the types of losses when you make a trip across the country to pursue a national championship and you come up just short. Those are the types of losses that I guess on one hand, give you a taste of what it could be like, which Devin's familiar with. He's a former NHRA super gas world champion. And it's also one of those things that can really catalyze and, and kind of strengthen the, the desire to go do it next season, particularly when you sit on that all winter long to that point this that that's that round that is when light didn't come on in pomona that was the last time that devin staged an nhra super comp competition prior to this weekend he starts his season off like that was a catalyzing experience like okay i'm gonna go get this um i don't know where this will end it's one race in but uh, it couldn't have started any better for young devin eisenhower and i think it is fair to say that at some point this season, he will join that talent-laden group 
atop the Super Comp standings and will be very much in contention once again for the Super Comp Championship. Yeah, that seems to be a safe bet, Luke. We, we seem to have that conversation each year here when it gets crunch time. And, you know, you can you can rewind an old podcast from pretty much since we've been doing this and talk about John LaBeouf Jr.'s chances at uh, championship in either or both classes. So just habitual offenders, uh, guys that continue to, to perform at a high level, having an opportunity to, to get it done. It's uh you know, it's fun to watch. It's, it's, that's the kind of, um, I won't, don't want to use the word dominance because there's, it's hard to dominate those categories. It's about impossible to do that, but it's that kind of performance that just gets you fired up about people. That's, these guys are just talented, talented racers. And it's fun to see them continue to give themselves an opportunity to, to have uh, dream seasons and, in the NHRA competition, because I know that's what they're they're fighting so hard for. One other uh, competitor, former championship competitor, uh, in this case, reigning championship competitor that started off his title defense in grand fashion at Indy. How about Blake Peevler, last year's top dragster world champion, picks up in 2022 where he left off in 2021. In his first appearance of the season, he holds the Wally in top dragster. Couldn't begin that title defense any better than that. No, that's an excellent start for Blake. And, um, you know, again, if he's uh, trying to chase the championship, he'll be a factor just as he seemingly always is. And that'll be, uh, that'll be cool to watch and hear how his, uh, how his performance impacts the championship later on in the season. So really good start. Hopefully you can keep that rolling. Who big Jed? We 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 paid homage to Dave McClellan. We paid homage to Johnny D. Uh, we paid homage to Peter Biondo, Peter the Great. Uh, we talked Dream Team. We went through a laundry list of NHRA results. I think that's all we got. Yeah, but that was a that was a full show for sure. Um, it had its highs and its lows, and um, certainly uh, the lows. We uh, we are lifting all those families up. That, uh, that are impacted, whether it was a, a passing of someone or an accident on the track, all the bad stuff that we had to talk about this week, we're lifting those families up. And, and we hope that, uh, again, all of you have the strength to, to get through the, the challenging times ahead. But there was a lot of good stuff we got to talk about too, Luke. And uh, that's always fun. And congratulations to all of the people that we got an opportunity to highlight for your great performances on the racetrack. And certainly all those dream team winners. Uh, you were you were all fun to watch. Luke, that's uh, that's about wrapping us up there. So uh, surely, surely the people listening this long have some things that they want to chime in about and talk about in this week's show. And we got a place you can do that. All of you can go right there to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. And uh, just tell us what we said right, what we said wrong, just your opinion on some certain things. Uh, I didn't see a whole lot of chatter about your your dream teams, your own personal group of five that you think would go win everything or the group of five you thought would win everything that, that we got to watch at the Dream Team Challenge. So not sure where you're at, but we need to hear from you. Go to the podcast Facebook page. Tell us what you're thinking. If you don't want to do it publicly, you can do it privately through uh, Messenger and uh, 
producer Todd will, uh, I'm producer Todd. What did I just say? Producer Mark. Sorry, Mark. Did we we'll, make a uh, new hire that I wasn't aware of? Yeah, producer Todd quit. So we got producer Mark, but producer Mark will, uh, will catch that. Uh, and you know what I was thinking, Luke? I saw a message. We were talking about Jeg's wagon and how cool it was and the, the horn being the nitrous. And we had a, a listener message us and tell us Todd Burks uh, wired Jeg's wagon, said he's phenomenal. He does great work, which I'm certain Jeg's only hires the best. So uh, that's what I was thinking about was the last message that I saw on our messenger. So anyway, producer Mark will snag that up. And, uh, and tell us about it if we don't see it ourselves. So go to the page there and tell us what you liked or what you didn't like or what you agree with, didn't agree with, whatever. Just tell us something. Luke, it's shouts time. I mean, why not start off where you left off? Shouts to the Malibu from Kalamazoo. Shouts to Todd Burke. Shouts to producer Todd. Shouts to badasses, Big Jed. I don't even remember how that came up in conversation. I felt like it slipped, but it man, it felt it felt bit. good to hear it come out of your mouth. So shouts to badasses everywhere. Shouts to the D4 nickname. Shouts to the original Tex-Mex, the country dog, the country puppy, and Cuda. Shouts to the Adcocks, the Hancocks, the Acocks, the Babcocks, and all cocks <laughs> everywhere, Big Jed. <laughs> oh, Luke, that was one of your best ever. That was awesome. Great list of shouts. Guys, uh, the Twitter's starting to pick up a little bit. Y'all are, y'all are reaching out to us just a little here and there, and we love it. So Gotta get a new if, phone. Gotta get if, a new phone. No if, idea what you're talking about. If you like, if you like to tweet... Luke and I are on the Twitter. He's at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. He won't see it. If you tweet him, make sure you tweet me in there, and I'll send it to him through uh, through text Screen, or whatever. Screenshot. <laughs> we'll, we'll get it to him one way or another, but tweet us. I'm loving it. I'm loving the interaction on Twitter. That wraps us up. We appreciate you guys listening again. Keep these families in your thoughts and prayers. And uh, rest in peace to two amazing legends in our sport that left a legacy that will never be matched. And uh, Dave McClellan and John DeBartolomeo are uh, flying high right now watching over. So we're really proud of that. Thank you again for tuning in. And we look forward to talking to you again real soon about more Sportsman Drag Race. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, 
That's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want. Or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.